ever try to repair something and not know exactly how to do it? Unfortunately for me, it seems I'm doing that way all the time. And what I really need to know is, how was this put together originally? Because if you know how it's put together, then you can take it apart and repair it and put it back. I think of that with relationships. How were we designed for relationships? How were we put together as husband and wife and family and friends and society as a whole? Today, we're going to look at God's urgent word about relationships from Genesis chapter 2. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, and we got a view of the universe, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of the created order. But today, God gives us a different vantage point. And the picture is of our little family, however there might be of you. A dozen or two, it's your little family of how God put us together. It is husband and wife and children and parents it is God's picture of creation. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, that were, trees that were pleasing to the eyes and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 18 talks about the man and the woman. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. I will make literally somebody who will come alongside of him. Two people who will complement, complete one another. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and to all the wild animals. But for Adam, the word for man, but for the man, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is literally at last. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Then verses 24 and 25 are the the heart of what it means to be in a relationship. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were comfortable with one another. God had brought them together. About a month ago, a friend of mine sent me an article, a blog post, a humorous blog post, but one that's always got a meaning to it. And he said, you ought to read this guy because he came from your part of the world. And the first time I, I read and he talked about Slocum, Alabama, I thought, yep, if he'll talk about burnout where my dad was born, then it'll really feel like home. So it's kind of down-home, deep-south country kind of blog. So he was replying to somebody from Nebraska who was asking about sweet tea. And so Sean gets on to sweet tea, and he starts extolling Milo's sweet tea. Uh, that is made in Birmingham, and I thought went out for about 30 miles, and I've learned it goes out everywhere. Uh, My mother, by the way, we never, I had never had any tea from a bottle for the longest time. Uh, My mother made it. Uh, My mother made the tea stronger than her coffee. That was a contention for a long time. Uh, because you could see the bottom of the coffee cup. And I remember the, the time I, I, I went to her and I said, Mama, we've got to do something about this. This coffee is killing me. And uh, she tried, but she could never make it as strong as you make it and as strong as, as I like it. So she would make that. But this guy, Sean, is talking about Milo's sweet tea, and he goes on and on, and it's humorous. And then he ends up by saying, I have a friend who has had problems with his marriage. And my friend says that he and his wife are arguing more and more. The the longer the day goes on, the worse the argument uh, gets. And, and, And they go to sleep and they're mad at one another and they don't sleep well. And the next day starts over the same way. And Sean says that his friend went to see a psychologist and they met for a time or two and three and talked through the issues and why there were arguments and everything. And then Sean says that his friend went back to the psychologist and the psychologist says, I think I have the answer to your problem. You need to drink Milo's sweet tea. (laughs) And here's the way I want you to drink it. Before you go to bed, 
I want you to get a mouthful and don't swallow it. Just keep it in your mouth. Let your wife go to bed. Only when she's asleep, you can swallow the tea. <laughs> so the, the friend does that. He does it for a month. He goes back to his psychologist. He says to him, you are a genius. It works. We haven't had one argument at night since I've been drinking the Milo sweet tea. And the blog ends by saying, in case you don't get the point, you will if you think about it, it really does help to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> All of life is about relationships. We all laugh because we've all struggled. We all laugh because we've all had difficulty. God made life to be about relationships. That, Genesis chapter 2 is so clear. It is all about relationships. It's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the world to exist apart from the man to, to till the ground and to keep it. It says it exactly. God created the heavens and the earth. But there was no man, no person to work the ground. It wasn't good for the earth. He created the man. And then when the man, it was not good for the man to be alone. He created the woman. They were made to complement one another. They were made to be one flesh. They were made to be family. But it is hard. And many times, there's a struggle. But you were made for relationships. Somebody came back to church last week for the first time since the pandemic. We have been faithful. We have been watching by live stream. We have kept up with everything. We know everything that's going on. But it's not the same. And she didn't say why it was not the same, but I know why it was not the same because there was all of us were away for nine weeks and then we started coming back sometimes two by two and one by one and we recognized it's not the same and it's not the same because of the people, because of the family of God, because of being together as the people of God. God made us for relationships. But those relationships are hard. So what are the relationships? You read from this passage of Scripture, and I think it is very clear. Three relationships, maybe more, but three that stand out to me. The first one is this, our relationship with God. God didn't make us to be apart from him. God didn't make us to push us away for him, from him. God made us to be with him. You read the next chapter. God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was conversing with Adam and Eve. God wanted to be in relationship with them. 
Can I give you an aside, a point? As much as God wanted to be in relationship with Adam and Eve, he wants to be in relationship with you and with me. We've talked before that God doesn't have to have us. He just wants to have us because he created us for fellowship with him, because he created us that we would live with him forever. He created us that, he would, that we would let him guide us through life and, and help us through the difficulty of a broken and a fallen world. Our God created us to have relationship with him. And when you read about this chapter, you, you think, well, this is about the man, and this is about the woman, and this is about one flesh, and it is about that. But you go back and read it, and no, this is about God. This is about God, how God created the world. This is why God created the world. Isn't it interesting? We live in a world that desperately wants to know how the universe was put together and how big the universe is and where is the end of it and is it constantly expanding and how many billion stars are there and how many billion galaxies are there? And today, are there other people? Are there aliens? We all want to know those things. But you know what? Most of those things we could live without. You know what we can't live without? We can live without knowing how he did it or how big it is. But we can't live without knowing why he did it. And he did it to have relationship with you and me, that we would be called his children and that we would be his. God wants us to have that relationship with God. It's interesting when you look at this passage of Scripture, the name that is used for God. In Genesis chapter 1, it simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word is the word Elohim. It's a word of majesty and power. In some sense, it's a generic word to describe God. You could talk about other gods and use the same word. But of course, uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be talking about the one true God, but you would be talking about other gods in other lands. But in Genesis chapter 2, and chapter 3 and chapter 4, and only there, God is called by a different name. Actually, by a compound name with the word Elohim that means majesty and power, and the word Yahweh that, mean, that describes the close personal God. So again and again in these chapters, it talks about the Lord God. Well, the Lord describes the God who is personal who is up close, who is right there with them. Isn't that amazing? Because Genesis 2 is God up close and personal. Genesis 1 is the God of space, the God of the heavens and the earth. 
The Lord God describes the God who is with us, who is the creator God, who can do all of these things, but loves us and cares for us. And that phrase is used over and over again, 11 times in this chapter. Look at verse 4, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Look at verse 7, the Lord God formed a man. The Lord God breathed into his nostrils. The Lord God planted a garden in verse 8. The Lord God put the man there. The Lord God made the ground. It's what God is doing. It's about him and then we fit into his world and we fit into what he has done. It's imperative that we have a relationship with God and we get to know him. When we hear God, when we obey God, when we answer God, we show that we are made as he decreed in his image and his Likeness. God wants us to have a relationship with him. But there's a second relationship here, and that's the relationship with the rest of the creation. We would in our day call it our environment. I mean, we have an environment here. It's a small environment, holds a lot of people, but we have an environment. But we are made for this environment with the whole world and with all of creation and with all of the things of the world. By the way, years ago, before people thought about aliens and that kind of thing, somebody asked the question, what if there were other people on other planets? And a very wise, godly man said, then when they showed up, we would ask them, we would say, God revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ the Lord. How has he revealed himself to you? You see, we live in this environment created by the Lord God for us to know him and to live for him and serve him. And, and he's given us responsibilities to work the ground. It wasn't good for the earth to be there without the man to work the ground. In Genesis chapter 1, they're given dominion over the birds of the air and over the fish of the sea and over everything that creeps over the earth. You've been given that to take care of it and to use it for godly purposes and to use it in ways that please God. So we have this relationship. In Genesis chapter 3, man is put in the garden with responsibility. We're responsible agents. We're, we're to have dominion under the leadership of God. And with everything in life, a good question to ask would be, God, how do you want me to use this? How, how do you want my family to function? How do you want me to live within that family? God, how do you want me to take care of the money that you've given to me? God, how do you want me to treat the earth? God, how do you want me to treat the people who live down the street from where I live? I find it amazing when I, when I ask God, what do you want to do? It is amazing of how different the world looks and do you know what else? 
It's how, more, how much more satisfying the world is and how much more peaceful I am and how much more joyful I am when I'm willing to, to have the right relationship with the people around me and with my world under the direction of God. But there's a third relationship, and, and obviously it's the one that most affects us because it's about you and me. It's our relationship with one another. It's our relationship with husband and wife, with children and with parents, with grandchildren and grandparents, in the people that we work with, the people you go to school with, the people that you hang out with. All of these relationships matter to God. And all of these are relationships that we can't do without. We have this relationship with God. They're beautiful words. Verse 24, verse 23, the man says, this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. I read this at almost every wedding ceremony I have. I read this passage of Scripture. I do it for a couple of reasons. One of them is because it's profound, because it shows God's plan. I read it also because when they asked Jesus about marriage, he took everybody all the way back to Genesis 2.24 and quoted this. We'll look at that in a moment. I read it because what does this say? It shows God's ideal. I know there are a lot of us who are struggling and broken and hurting. But the quicker, the more urgently we get back to God's ideal and we use God's methods to heal relationships, the better off we will be. And let me remind you, in order for relationships to be healed, it can't just be about the other person. We almost always want it to be that way. If a male, if she would just do this, everything would be fine. A wife would say if he would do this, everything would be fine. But do you know what? I, I'm just going to say 99.9% of the time that won't work. But what does work is when I am open to God and I give myself to him, God, what would you have me to do? What would you want me to do differently? And then if there's a other person in the relationship who thinks and works in the same way, seeking God, what a difference it makes in our lives. What is the ideal of God for a marriage? It is that it would be exclusive. A man leaves, here he's talking about father and mother, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves, sticks, is united to his wife. It is exclusive. And it is permanent. 
and it is God-sealed. It is God who brings this into existence. It is God who works in our hearts and our lives. This, This is the ideal. And for the people of God, the family of God, this must be the ideal. One man, one woman united together for a lifetime, going through the struggles of life and being closer because of the struggles of life and going through the difficulties and helping one another to get through those difficulties. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife, and they become one flesh. Jesus used this passage to talk about the ideal of marriage. And I would encourage you to read it. It's Mark chapter 10. He is teaching. The Pharisees come up to him, and they they wanted to test him. Now, you never test people over something simple and easy. You don't do that. If you want to try to find, catch somebody out of something, you don't find something easy for them to answer. You don't throw a softball underhanded. You throw the, a fastball as hard as you can. And that's what they were doing with the Pharisees. And anytime you talk about marriage, anytime you talk about divorce, you're talking about a hardball question. And you're talking about something difficult. So they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And remember in that day, the divorce could only be by the man. Is it lawful for him to do so? Can he just kind of put her away, kind of do what he wants them to do? The the Hebrews, they debated, the Jews debated this, but for the most part, they said Moses gave them a certificate of divorce. Jesus said, what did Moses command you? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, It's because you have a hard heart, because you have a broken world, because we're sent, because you are sinful people living in your own world, doing your own thing, having your own way. Now, I know there are a lot of causes of divorce that are more than that and are more, even more painful than that. But Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart. But here's what Jesus did. See, they wanted to go to, they wanted to, go to Moses. They wanted to ask, what's legal? It, isn't that the way we do it all the time? God, what can I get away with? Uh, what can I do? And it will be fine if I do that. What can I get away? We are always wanting to know what is legal. But Jesus took them beyond what is legal to what is right. He took them beyond Moses, the man, the imperfect man, the sinful man like all of us, and he took them to God, the creator, who has a purpose, who started from the very beginning. And he gave them the ideal. He gave them of what God wanted them to have. To have a right relationship with others, we have to have a right relationship with God. 
And before we can have a right relationship with God, there's got to be a way in which we have a right relationship with other people. Because God is not pleased when we harm others, take advantage of others, live for ourselves and leave them out. You can't have that right relationship with God without extending that to other people. And you can't extend it to other people until you know God. It's amazing. We live in a world that wants to deal with the legality but not the right. We want to live in a world that we define. Think about it this way. About 20 years ago, about the beginning of this century, we decided we wanted to redefine marriage. That it's not one man and one woman. It's not even a man and a woman. It's not even one. It may be two or three or four. We live in this world trying to redefine everything. And we leave God out of it. And we have the idea that we are God, that we are making ourselves in our image. You see how the theology affects everything? If we're made in the image of God, then it is quite different from our making up laws and rules and regulations and ideas that are made in our image. And so we think that we can do that, and we think we're the only people who have ever lived. You can take trace human beings for about 6,000 years. Uh, when you start looking at numbers, that, that's a pretty good number. A couple of weeks ago, there was uh, the remains of a woman found in Canada. And the expert said that she died about 6,000 years ago. Interestingly enough, I don't think God intended for us to do this and make rules about it and everything, but if you were to add up all the numbers in the Bible and all the generations in the Bible, you'd come up to about 6,000 years. Now, there are all kinds of things we don't know about time, and I certainly don't know. But let's just take 6,000 years. So if for 6,000 years, marriage has been between a man and a woman, see my point? If for 6,000 years, the family is best when there's a small group who live together and love together and love one another and help one another, why would we want to break that up today? Why would we think we could do that? The other day, I have four grandchildren, 21 to 12 in age. You want to make a person like me smile, you talk about my grandchildren. So I'm sitting at a traffic light the other day, and I wonder, where did the term grandchildren come from? Where did the term grandparents come from? Well, where did they come from? Did we make it up a hundred years ago? Or is this something that has always been the same because human beings have always been the same? You see where I'm going with that? 
the idea of marriage, of coming from God, of being in his design and his plan. And by the way, it's a beautiful thing. I remember as a kid reading, reading Genesis 3.25 and being embarrassed. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It was only a few years ago that I realized, why did they feel no shame? Because this is God's plan. They were comfortable with each other. They were one flesh. God made them for one another. God sealed that bond. That's what we want to do for young people looking to the future. Look for God-sealed marriage. Look for a marriage that pleases God and honors him and exalts his name. Live as God created us to live. Moral lives, pleasing to him, devoted to one another through the ups and downs of life so that that when one of you dies, it's as if part of you has been ripped out of you. That's God's plan. It is what God wants for you. It is what God intended, and it is what we can have when we open ourselves more completely and fully to God. The, the Bible says this, we have an old nature and that old nature always gets in the way. But we live best and we live in ways that are pleasing to God when we let God be in control of our lives. That's what I want to ask you to do today. I want, to, I want you to leave here today thinking of this, what can I do? God and let it be to God. God, what can I do to make my marriage better? God, what can I do to make myself as a child, as a teenager, pleasing to you and honoring my parents? I want to ask you as a father, as a mother, God, what can I do to be a blessing to my children? God, what do you want me to do? Would you ask God that now? And maybe God would, have, would draw you to the front to talk with a pastor or a counselor. Maybe you're a child who in vacation Bible school made a profession of faith and now you need to make it public before the church. Maybe you are a senior adult and you've recognized, I need God fully in my life. Would you let us help you with that? today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. God, I personally want to pray to you. God, what do you want me to do in my life to please you? God, I pray that you would be answering that prayer all over this room and showing us what you would have us to do. God, please bless these, your people, and speak to our hearts and lead us in your way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Come now as we sing.